want to share a little story with you. This is probably not an unusual story for a lot of couples. Um, some years ago, Janice and I were returning from a conference, and we were uh, heading to Maryland to pick up our kids from the family they had stayed with. And so we were kind of retracing our steps back because we had already traveled this way to go to the conference. Now we're coming back. And all was going smoothly until, and this was, by the way, before the days when our phones talked to us and told us, make a right here, make a left there. I love that, by the way. But this was, we had the old-fashioned, we had like a MapQuest printout. And we got to this point where there was like a roundabout, and I was pretty sure I recognized this, but believe it or not, we didn't know if we were supposed to head north to go a short distance to pick up the highway we were supposed to pick up, or we were supposed to head south to pick up the highway that we were looking for. And so... Janice thought we were supposed to go south, and I was pretty sure that we were supposed to go north, so north we went, and uh, after a while, Janice pointed out that according to MapQuest, it seems like we should have come to that highway already, and so she suggested that maybe we should stop and ask for directions, and um, I'm not big on asking for directions. So I told her, you know, I, I'm pretty sure we're going in the right direction. And so stopping to ask for directions would actually be a waste of time. Let's just keep going. We're going to get there really soon. But we kept on going. Well, after a while, and we still didn't come to the highway we were looking for, I began to think that asking for directions may not be such a bad idea after all. And so we pulled up to this uh, convenience store, and outside were a couple of guys and so I, I jumped out and I ran up to him and I said, hey, do you guys know how we get to such and so highway? And I was really hoping he'd say, yeah, just keep going just another mile or two and you're going to get to it. He points in the opposite direction, the direction Janice said we should have been going in all along. And uh, so basically I had to do a 180, a complete 180 and head south when I thought we were supposed to head north. Now, in our case, heading in the wrong direction costs us a little bit of time, a little bit of gas, and costs me a little bit of wounded pride. But it was not a big deal. But when we're living our lives in the wrong direction, that has far more serious consequences to us. I bring that up because in Luke chapter 9, as I read it, it, it seems to me like Jesus is pointing our lives in a particular direction and it feels like the 180 direction of what we feel is right, what we want it to be, the direction we think is best for our lives. It's a 180. It's a 180. Now we're going to focus on verses 23 through 26, but we're going to start in verse 18, because where Jesus points us, he first shares he himself has gone before us. So let's begin in verse 18. Jesus, uh, it says this, now it happened that as he, Jesus, was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say, Elijah and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. 
And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. So here's what's happening here. Jesus asked the disciples, Who do do the crowd say I am? And essentially, some say he's... John the Baptist raised from the dead. Some say he's Elijah raised from the dead. Some say he's some other prophet raised from the dead. But basically, they say he is some great man from the Old Testament who's come back. And then Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter, and we know from Matthew, by revelation of the Father, he says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus tells him, blessed are you, for it is not flesh and blood that has revealed this to you, but the Father in heaven. He is the Messiah. He is the living God. He is the King who is to come. And so the natural assumption would be, if Jesus is the Messiah, if he is the King, then the direction of his life is going to just be a trajectory of upward and to the right. Better and better, higher and higher, till he reaches that pinnacle of success, that pinnacle of power, and that pinnacle of rulership, and he's going to take over, and he's going to take them with him. It's all up from here. That's the direction you would naturally think, and I'm sure the disciples naturally thought, that's the direction this thing is going now. But Jesus points in 180 degree opposite direction for his life. He says, the direction of my life, you're right, I'm the Messiah. You're right, I'm the son of the living God. You're right, I'm the king. And the direction of my life will be suffering and rejection and being killed. And I think that so shocked the disciples. They didn't hear the final sentence. And be raised on the third day. Jesus' life has to go downward before it will go upward. There has to be death before there is resurrection. And Jesus then says, anyone who wants to be my disciple will follow me in that same direction. Let's read verse 23. And Jesus said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. This is not what we want to hear. Who wants to deny themselves, pick up their cross daily and die? to themselves who wants to lose their life it's 
180 degrees opposite of what everything inside of us wants and what feels right. It's not where we want to go. But Jesus says it's where we need to go. Before we look at what it means exactly, or as my understanding of it goes, I want to point out this is the fork in the road that for so many people separates or divides Jesus' followers from Jesus' fans. A fan is someone who's enthusiastic about somebody. They love what they do, their songs or their acting or their writing or whatever. And they love what they do until they don't. And then they're not a fan anymore. Jesus is pointing out a fork in the road, a dividing line. But this is not the dividing line between ordinary followers, ordinary Christians, and the ultra-committed, ultra-dedicated followers. This is the direction of the discipleship journey. This is the only direction of the discipleship journey for those who would follow Jesus. Verse 23, Jesus says, it says, Jesus said to all, if anyone would follow me or come after me, He must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. If anyone would come after me. There's no uh, separate track for those who just want to be a fan of Jesus and and love what he says. This is one of those moments in the Gospels where a lot of people said, okay, I'm out. I'm out. It happens all the time in the Gospels. There's large crowds and then there's small crowds because a lot of people were there loving what he said until they didn't. And then they said, I'm out. You lost me at deny yourself. Think about the rich young man who comes to Jesus enthusiastically and praises Jesus. Good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And he is a a fan of Jesus. He is, you know, very few people came to Jesus with more eagerness or more praise than this young man does. And it's not phony. It's real. He loves what he hears. And he says, what must I do to have eternal life? And I'm sure he was ready for Jesus to say, do this and do that. Add this to your life. He was already dedicated to the law. He was already dedicated to doing what he saw from the word of God he should do. And and I'm sure he expected Jesus to tweak his direction a little bit. Go a little bit to the right. Go a little to the left. Add this turn to your direction. In our day, it might be things like, hey, go to church, give a little extra in the offering, put a honk if you love Jesus, bumper sticker on your car, and you will have eternal life. Do a little bit more of what you're doing, and you will have eternal life. But Jesus didn't tweak this young man's direction. He completely reversed it. He pointed him in the opposite direction of everything that meant so much to this young man. 
sell all you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. <clears throat> he asked what he should do. Jesus told him. But it wasn't what he wanted to hear. The cost was too high. The direction too radical. And the Bible says he walked away sad. He walked away sad. I think we could say he was a fan of Jesus, enthusiastically so. But at this dividing point, he was not a follower of Jesus. There was another point in the Gospels where Jesus said something, one of these hard sayings, and the crowd left, just left. And he turned to his disciples and he said, will you leave also? And Peter said, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter didn't say, I like what I'm hearing, Jesus. I think it was painful for Jesus. They were wrestling with it. But for Peter, he realized this is the only direction that takes us to eternal life. <clears throat> that leads to eternal life. So let's try to understand, at least briefly, what Jesus means in this response that he gives. <clears throat> Excuse me. The first thing I really want to point out, because <clears throat> this is so important, and excuse me for whatever it is in my throat, uh, this is the most important point that we take home, is that our cross isn't Jesus' cross. Our cross is not Jesus' cross. When Jesus says, take up your cross, we need to remember our cross isn't like Jesus' cross. Jesus' cross had full atoning power. Because it was Jesus. It was Jesus, the sinless Son of God, who died on that cross. It was His blood, so precious, so perfect, so righteous, that was spilt for our sins to cleanse us of our sins and wash us clean and purchase for us eternal life. Only Jesus' cross has atoning power. To cleanse us, save us, forgive us, and restore us to God. Our cross has no atoning power at all. It merits no uh, righteousness in God's eyes. We don't become holy by denying ourselves. Asceticism, which is... The life of severe self-denial and avoidance of all indulgences will never make us holy. All right? You can deny yourself. And, and in history, people who have called themselves Christians have sought to earn righteousness in God's eyes and merit in God's eyes by severely denying themselves, punishing themselves, withholding all indulgences from themselves. <clears throat> Jesus is not calling us to a life of asceticism. <clears throat> asceticism 
has no more power to make us holy than giving in and indulging ourselves has power to make us holy. We trust only in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for our holiness, for our salvation, for our cleansing before God, for our righteousness. It is all Jesus. Amen? It is all Jesus. The minute we try to nail one of our righteous works to Jesus' cross, we empty the cross of its saving power. So the first thing we need to remember about this is our cross isn't Jesus' cross. We aren't saved by trusting in our picking up our cross. We are saved by trusting in Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. I believe taking up our cross means dying to a self-centered life and living to a Christ-centered life. The Bible says we are born sinners, and one of the things sin does is make us self-centered. It, it just makes us self-centered. We are born to varying degrees, but we are all born with a narcissistic temperament, a narcissistic bent that wants its way, wants to be the center of everything, wants all good for itself. It's just how we're wired. As we grow older, we learn to massage it and look a little different, different people, and different people have different degrees, but it's there, amen? It's there. That selfishness, that self-centeredness. In the garden, the serpent said to, to Eve, you will be like God if you eat. He tempted her with that. She passed that on to Adam. And that's been our desire, to be God over our lives, to be at the center of our lives, to be the one who directs our lives, controls our lives, dictates our lives that we are the center of the universe that's kind of how we are that's that's the bent of our souls and we in some way or another we want to be the center of everybody else's universe now that may look different for an extrovert from an introvert but we still want our way and we still want to be the center. We want to do our thing. We want to follow our desires. And it feels like that's the direction that the good life takes us in. It feels like the more I can get for myself, the more I can live for what I want, the more I'm the center and the, the one who's successful and the one that everybody looks to and says, wow, the more life I live. We call that living large. When you can do what you want to do and you can go where you want to go and you can, you can have all these things. And we are born with a broken compass that says, Life is found towards doing what I want and giving myself all indulgences and, and, and grabbing rather than giving. 
We are born with a broken compass that has us trying to save our lives in all the wrong ways. Years ago, in a community group, the guy that was leading it opened with an icebreaker. And the icebreaker was this. Maybe you've heard this asked. The question was this. If your house was on fire, everybody was safe, nobody was in the the house, and you could run in and grab one or two things, what would you grab and run out with? And unfortunately, I was the first one in line to answer. And so I'm trying to think. I'm really trying to think. And the only thing I could think of, I thought of my guitar, and I thought of a a flat-screen TV, you know? So I'm running out of uh, this burning house with a guitar in one hand, a flat screen TV in the next hand. I didn't love my answer, but it's all I could think of. And then person after person afterwards began to say things. I would grab my, my picture, my photo books, with all the memories in them. I would grab that. Or I would grab this vase or this whatever that my mom gave to me as a memory. You know, and I'm like, oh my goodness, can I change my answer? Because <laughs> they're, they're grabbing things that spoke of memories and spoke of what's important in life and spoke of relationship. And I'm running out with a flat screen TV. Like, you know what? We live like that sometimes. We live like that, grabbing all the wrong things, saving all the wrong things in life, and then wonder. And I'm not just, I'm, this is the world. This is the history of the world. And we wonder when we get to the end of it all why it means so little. No one on their deathbed ever asked, could you bring me my flat screen TV? Now, I will say my guitar is a little different and, um, because, uh, well, that actually, that was the last gift my dad gave me before he passed away. So I guess I kind of hit that. I would definitely grab that. Anyway, my point is, there are things we, sin makes us want to save things that actually do not bring life. Sin makes us want to go in directions that do not bring joy. And yet we think they do. And they seem so important. And so sometimes to save our lives, we grab things like pride or selfishness. Or if somebody hurt us, bitterness. Or the fear of what people think about us, which is a form of pride. Or ambition. I want success. And that's what we come running out of the house with. To save. And they feel so important to our lives. And Jesus points us in the opposite direction and says, don't live for these things. Die to these things. Don't save these things. Lose these things. And gain real life. Jesus said, pick up your cross. We have our own cross. We each have our own cross. That's why, that's why nobody preaches that everybody should sell everything they have and give it to the poor and follow Jesus. Because that was that young man's cross. That was what denying himself meant. That's not what... We all have our individual crosses. Mine's not yours because my self-centeredness looks different than your self-centeredness. What we have in common is we are all self-centered. But it looks different from person to person. And so Jesus says, hey, you have a cross. 
pick up that cross and follow Jesus in a series of many deaths and many resurrections. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I love that passage. Do you see how Paul describes a, a life of dying to himself? I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. But he also brings us back to the gospel, which is this. He loved me and gave himself for me. That's the gospel. And because of the gospel, because Jesus loved me and gave himself for me, I can die to myself and follow Jesus, pick up that cross, and Christ live within me. Oh, that's what we are created for, that Christ would live his life through us. And so every day we are confronted with sinful impulses that we could either give into or we can de deny. And daily, we need, this is a daily thing. This isn't once for all. Selfishness and pride and craving for approval and bitterness and greed and lust. The reason these things are a death that we are picking up the cross and dying to them is because they wrap themselves around our hearts and our identity so that we literally think our lives are wrapped up in this thing. That life is wrapped up. My heart, my identity is drawn from this thing. If I die to selfishness and I begin to live to care more about others, there will be less life for me. If I don't receive the approval of people, what will give my life meaning? We somehow think if someone's disappointed in me that somehow I am a disappointment. We hold tightly to bitterness and unforgiveness because it feels like it's part of who we are. If our identity, if we, it's dependent on holding on and, and holding that person guilty for what they did instead of letting it go. If success is your self-centeredness, then you, you see promoting yourself as, a, it's not just because, hey, I want, it, it's, you feel like it's life. To be a success in the eyes of people, that's what life is. And if, if I'm a failure, that's, that's the end of life. That's the anti-life. Tim Keller once said, and he's so right, if, if we let success go to our heads, then failure will go to our hearts. But here's the thing that Jesus says. On the other side of that death, we die to ambition. We die to unforgiveness. We die to selfishness. We die to our pride. On the other side of that, Jesus says, is life. Life. Paul could see it. Christ lives in me. My identity isn't about me anymore. My identity is about Christ living in me. And guess what? My identity is about he loves me and gave himself for me. That's what roots my identity. That's what makes me valuable, whole, a person 
That's it. That's what our identity is rooted in. Christ loved me and gave himself for me. And if he loves me and gave himself for me, the entire world could hate me. Because what does it gain if a person gains the whole world and loses their soul? This is a hard saying. It's one of the points where people stopped following Jesus. But what I want to encourage us as we close this morning is that we want to have eyes of faith that can see what's on the other side of what Jesus is offering us. See that rich young man, the sad thing, he walked away sad, but he, I think he lived the rest of his life sad. And I think at the end there must have been a crushing sense of regret because he did not see with eyes of faith all that Jesus was offering him. Jesus said, sell your trinkets that are basically worthless. Give to the poor. That will bless your heart, and that will bless the heart of God. And then follow me. Oh, and then you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. See, Jesus is the treasure our souls long for. He doesn't just give us treasure. He is the treasure. Jesus is the life we yearn for. He is what our, our identities long to be rooted in. God, give us eyes to see that. Give us eyes to see that. Let's pray. Father, give us eyes of faith that sees what Jesus is offering us and all that he is calling us into. That, Lord, even as he suffered, was rejected, and was killed. And that was hard. But on the third day, he was raised. Resurrection. And that's eternal. And he lives in power and glory and resurrection life as Lord of all and King of all forever. So short death eternal life, resurrection. Lord, that's what you have called us into, to follow Jesus in a series of many deaths that we die to the thing, the impulses that say, hold on to me, live for me, that are self-centered, and that, Lord, we die to those things, picking up our cross daily, and then rising that Christ might live in us that Christ might live his life in us. Lord, as we close this morning, fan the flames of faith in our hearts and love that we might see that Jesus is the treasure we long for. And then help us overlay that on where we're living right now. Where are we at right now in life? What situation is going on? Help me to overlay that. Die to my self-centeredness and live in the power and love of Christ. And we give Jesus all the glory because it's all him. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. amen, amen. All right. I want to just invite you to just consider, you know, this is heart work. Where might God be calling you? Where might Jesus be calling you right now?
to die to self-centeredness, the impulse. Say, God, help me to die to that and help me to rise again in the power of Christ to live differently, 180 degrees differently in the power of Christ. And may God bless you as you do. Have a great week in the Lord.